0: If you're a fan of our podcast or any other podcasts, you're probably a pretty good listener. You're attentive, focused, and curious what the host and the guests have to say. This is a skill most of us exercise without even knowing it, simply because we care about what we're listening to. We want to listen. We want to keep our minds open because we know that when our minds are open, we're more likely to learn something new, something that changes how we see the world. And maybe even how we behave. So here's a question. Why don't we apply the same passion for listening at work? Why don't we listen with rapt attention when our colleagues have something important to tell us? I'm Chris Weller and you're listening to Your Brain at Work from the NeuroLeadership Institute. For this episode and the ones that follow, we'll be drawing from a weekly webinar series that NLI has been hosting every Friday. This week, we're joined by three of NLI's distinguished consultants and scientists as they discuss the science of listening deeply and how it helps team members start on the journey toward allyship. You'll hear from Barbara Steele, head of NLI's performance practice, Paula Gurkovich, a senior consultant at NLI, and Dr. Michaela Simpson, one of NLI's senior scientists. Together, they talk through what listening circles can look like in organizations, the science of psychological safety and perspective taking and the potential pitfalls of getting it wrong. Enjoy.
1: So what we'll talk about is certainly this topic about us listening deeply. And you all might recall, um, because many of you, of course, uh, are around our work uh, of NLI, uh, we published a Forbes article um, on how to be an ally, Uh, in this moment, listen deeply, unite widely, act boldly. And we published this article in June uh, on the 3rd, uh, 2020 of this year. And it was right on the heels of the George Floyd murder, which happened on May 25th. And so what we found is obviously... um, that was kind of the the last straw, proverbially speaking, uh, that kind of broke the camel's back. There was already so much happening from an uncertainty standpoint and disruption standpoint with the pandemic, um, unemployment references, things like that, and then the George Floyd murder. And so we certainly felt very strongly that we needed to be really clear with the narrative in the market. So if you haven't read that article, please do so, because we talk from a science perspective, what leaders really need to do now. And because this is so, so important, Um, And it requires such action right now. We actually will be doing this as a series So uh, in the coming weeks today, we'll talk about listen deeply obviously um, And then in the coming weeks we'll tackle unite widely and act boldly uh, Because these these three actions are tied together strongly very much interdependent You can't do one without the other So today, to give some context for this topic of listening deeply, uh, what we want to do is really unpack this, because since publishing the article, um, so many organizations have come to us, and we've had this privilege of engaging with them, um, as well as just uh, helping companies with this topic of how to really do this well. So we're going to unpack it from an organizational standpoint, really the different ways that organizations uh, go about this. You'll then hear from uh, Paulette kind of Talk us through the various uh, kind of different variations that are available and what organizations are doing. And if you haven't done this work, you know, so we'll walk you through that. Uh, Then we'll get to hear from a science perspective from Michaela, so what's behind kind of that what's needed foundationally to ensure when we're talking about listening deeply, how to do that um, so that it goes well. We'll share with you some of the pitfalls that we've seen in our work in working with uh, clients who are doing this. And then we'll, we'll close with a, a few other things. And so this is how um, we want to uh, really frame the conversation that we're having uh, together today. And here we talk about where are the, the different places that uh, organizations can actually do the listening. So certainly in our talks with uh, companies, They've said doing this one-to-one listening is pivotal, really needing their leaders to lean in more, uh, recognizing that, you know, and we'll get into this more. Some of these conversations might be a bit awkward, a bit uncomfortable, but that needs to kind of take a backseat because what they're, what they want to prioritize is for their employees to be heard. Um, another Space, obviously, is just at the team level. Um, So again, as we know how when people come together from a social aspect, That brings even a richer kind of um, experience and even a wealth of more feedback for the organization. And then finally we've seen um, various structures and one we'll talk quite a lot about is in the space of of a listening circle and you'll hear us refer to it as both the listening circle and a listening session. Um, And and Paulette will really unpack kind of the differences uh, between the various structures that can happen at this level. Um, But it's just recognizing that Uh, again, when we're talking about listening deeply, it's not just doing one thing, it's really recognizing that we've got, uh, an organization has really got to hit it at these varying levels to ensure that they're really hearing from the workforce workforce, what's coming up for them, uh, what it means from an insight perspective, and then what organizations do with that information. So with that, um, Paulette, I know you're prepared to really help us unpack this further because you know, this really has been um, something, as you know, we've had so many organizations talking with us about you know, either engaging us to help them do this kind of work, or mm-hmm. certainly getting our guidance and advice because it's so important for them to actually get it right. So it might be good for you to kind of start us off and, and really take a deeper dive um, in these different areas.
2: Yeah, thanks so much, Barb. Um, What a great point. There are several different modalities for listening to what employees have to say. And listening circles have probably been the least used um, in corporate, global corporate settings, frankly. Um, So I think it behooves us to do a little bit of history and background. But in thinking about all of the different ways that we can listen to those around us, the objective of each of these modalities Mm -hmm. is kind of different, and the target audience is a little bit different. So what I mean by that is in a listening circle, each participant has a chance, and depending on how it's designed, the obligation to speak, while the rest of the circle remains silent and listens deeply. So they're listening from the heart, They're listening with empathy. They are listening to truly hear what's being said, not to think about how it makes them feel or what they might want to say next. And the objective there is really, this is for the person speaking. The the primary benefit is to that speaker and so on and so forth as you go around the circle. Focus groups, um, alternatively, are more about gathering insights from a, a small group of participants, usually for the purposes of getting a pulse on employee experiences and perceptions and opinions. It could be used to create change Um, to get a sense of what the biggest challenges might be in the organization, or again, just to take a pulse and and see where morale is at, where engagement is at. Town halls, and there have been a lot of these um, around race in the past few months, town halls enable leadership to get up in front of the entire organization and share a message that's consistent because Everyone is hearing it at one time. Generally, technically, town halls are used to deliver information, but there is a component of taking questions. So because the room is so big, generally, Um, And because there are a few speakers who have a lot of information to get through, the Q&A isn't the crux of the conversation, but there is an opportunity to tie that part in. And then finally, surveys are an anonymous way uh, to get a pulse on what employees are thinking and feeling, again, usually around very specific issues like talent management or diversity and inclusion. Um, So again, we want to focus on things like listening circles, listening sessions, uh, a little bit on town halls, but the reason that, Barb, we find this listening circle concept so compelling is because it's got deep roots in in our history, uh, in North American history, with Native Americans in Canada, with First Nation peoples in Australia, the Aboriginal population. These listening circles were developed from councils that met in these communities and literally took a stick, the listening stick and said what they needed to say on a particular topic. They were either solving a problem or grappling with a challenge. Um, They'd say their piece and then pass the stick to the next person in the circle. That person could speak, everyone remained quiet, so on and so forth until the stick went all the way around the circle and everybody had their say. So that's its genesis. Um, We do this a little bit differently in the corporate setting. Not everybody has to speak. We hope that they do. Um, But we do want a few things to happen. Um, I can go through what those things look like. Um, Again, the listening circle is a place to share and to be heard It is primarily for the benefit of the speaker, but of course also has a lot of other benefits for those listening. For example, they could be getting insights, the speaker could be having insights as she's speaking. Um, and leaders in the organization can really begin to learn how folks that report up to them are feeling. That said, it's not a place to air all of your grievances or share all of your feelings. There is an objective to a listening circle. It should be very specifically stated up front, and all of the sharing will revolve around that particular objective rather than being something like a therapy session where you kind of just blurt out whatever it is you wanna talk about. Um, It is a place to say, in that case, just enough, but not to go on and on and on. So there's usually something of a time limit, somewhere around two or three minutes each time a person speaks. Um, Again, speaking about something that somehow relates to the workplace, but we know that the work and the personal are very integrated in a lot of ways. But what we're talking about in the listening circle has some impact on how we show up as an employee every day. Mm -hmm. And again, we talked about deep listening, listening from the heart, um, hearing without judgment, um, speaking from the heart uh, and not thinking of critiques or comments that you want to make to the speaker. That said, you know, there's no saying that this hasn't gone wrong somewhere. And we know there are some good examples where things have gone a little bit astray. Um, Being able to speak your feelings doesn't, again, mean saying anything you want to say. And it certainly doesn't mean saying something incredibly hurtful to someone else. So beyond those guidelines, you're free to share in your two or three minute period. Um, And we have found that folks have walked away from this gaining tremendous insight into even their own feelings about a particular topic that they didn't realize they had.
1: Paulette, thank you so much for just really helping us understand right, the different, uh, different ways that organizations can go about listening. And I'm especially intrigued by, because um, you, of course, have spent more time here talking about the listening circle, giving us a sense of the mm-hmm. genesis of this. When you look at the current climate, and I know I'm putting you on the spot here a bit, um, you know, what would we say to those who are listening who, you know, this hasn't been done in their organizations and they're thinking about how to do this? You know, would we, I see such parallel between the town hall and the listening circle. You know, what would we recommend if uh, organizations are, are figuring out how to tackle this and how to proceed? Great question, Barb.
2: I I think it really depends on what you want to come away with. If a leadership primarily wants to share information about their approach or policy changes or some new cultural initiative that's coming up around some of these issues, for example, the town hall would really be the best method. Folks can ask questions, but they're really learning new information from leadership. The listening circle, alternatively, is a place where everybody has the opportunity to surface what they're thinking and feeling around a particular issue. It can be a place to ask questions, but it's really geared toward sharing what is on your mind in the moment or something that you've been thinking about for a matter of years. Completely different objectives. I think two holes in this moment are really important for leaders who are taking a very clear position Or want to share their thinking about what's going on today there. There's a lot of importance for doing that sometimes as a precursor to the listening circle. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm sure we've all been flooded with the emails from organizations with whom we order online or, or things like that, that tell us the position they're taking. On the George Floyd murder, for example, Black yeah. Lives Matter, the town yeah. hall is something like that an opportunity for leadership to set a tone from the top. So, those are important. Um, and then, once there, it's time to go more deeply and hear from the employees themselves, listening circles are an incredibly powerful way to do that.
1: Beautiful. I wonder, too, Paulette, like how much within organizations, like town halls, we're all familiar with, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, like you just mentioned, with, you know, as we saw the, these really increase after the death of of George Floyd, you know, w- we started getting the requests, we started hearing more and more about these taking place. And it seems to be the familiar frame, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just wonder how much organizations have even known or made this distinction with the listening circle. And so I really appreciate how you've talked us through that to help really look at the difference and when one is more appropriate than another.
2: Thank you, yeah. Barb, as well. We are we're hearing increasing questions at NLI or receiving increasing questions around what is a listening circle? How do we conduct a listening circle? We've achieved this, this moment, this tipping point where folks really want to understand what that's about. Mm-hmm. The town hall is great, but the listening circle really is about understanding who you've got working for you in your organization. Uh, And it represents uh, a real progressive step for leadership and a lot of trust and respect to open up those doors and say, we want to hear from you rather than the other way around.
1: Yeah. And that sends such a powerful message. So I want to pivot a bit now that we've been talking about just, you know, level setting for all of us, like the different ways uh, that organizations can go about listening and the different spaces that it can happen within. I think it'll be helpful now, Michaela, to turn to you to understand from a science perspective, like what's really underneath them. So um, Paulette talked about like the importance of being heard and and she mentioned things like that. So how do we ensure that as organizations, it sounds like so many folks have been a part of this um, already. How do we ensure that they understand the science behind the, and design in such a way that they, that they get them right? Great
3: question. Um, I'd like to talk about three main points for organizations when they're thinking about um, creating and implementing um, uh, these circles. And one factor that's extremely important is, uh, is psychological safety. And I'll, I'll go into these in a minute, um, each mm-hmm. one individually. But creating mm-hmm. psychological safety uh, facilitating insight and setting the stage uh, to encourage action on the part of everybody. But I'd like to tell you more about psychological safety. Um, some of you have probably heard this, um, what this is or know what it is. Um, it's a climate in which people feel safe, expressing ideas, concerns and managing mistakes without fear of embarrassment or retribution. So let's just take a moment and step back and like, you know, take that in what that means It's like you're in an environment where it's okay express your ideas, your concerns, and talk about fears, uh, mistakes, um, without retribution. Um, That could be anything from, you know, in the workplace, when it has to do with uh, what's happening with decision making to these um, settings, such as these circles, these listening circles, where uh, Yvette has spoken about, we -hmm. want to create empathy and um, people speaking from the heart. So that means there's vulnerability that's being expressed. In order for that to happen, it has to be a safe environment. If people don't feel safe, then they are not going to share and they're not going to be able to speak from the heart. And so moving on, like, okay, you could be saying, Michaela, what does that mean? So um, I wanna uh, take it a step further. And I'd like to talk about threat and reward. So again, when we think about not feeling safe, that gives us a sense of threat where, it is not safe for us. And we feel that in our bodies and it's, you know, there's something really um, distinctive happening in the brain when we don't feel safe, just as is there's something very distinctive in our brains that happens when we feel, when we feel safe and when we're getting a reward. So we talk about uh, human beings that were highly motivated um, by our social relationships as we're motivated by social rejection, which can come across as threatening and by social acceptance, which is very rewarding to us. And when we feel um, rejection or threat, it can affect how we perceive the world around us. So, when we feel under threat, literally our field of vision can narrow. It's not even just, you know, we're walking you know, in the forest and a, and a leopard, uh, uh, you know, comes out and scares us. You know, we don't have those settings anymore, but we are in these social environments. But our bodies and our brains can perceive a threat in the same way. So, that we, we feel under threat, our vision is gonna narrow. We're not able to retain information as well. We become less creative. We're less able to generate new ideas and we're less willing and able to collaborate. So again, think about that in a listening circle. If people are feeling under threat, this sharing from the heart, this empathy is not going to happen. And because we have this drive um, to move away from threat and towards reward, I wanna talk about more of like, how can we foster reward? Um, When we are in this reward or approach state, we're more willing to do different, difficult things, we're more willing to take risks, we're more willing to think dip, deeply about issues, all of which are very positive. And so with that, I'd like to introduce you to the SCARF model, which is um, one of NLI's foundational models. And it describes these five primary, primary domains that are triggers of threat and reward. Um, and so I'm gonna walk you through each one briefly. So the S in SCARF stands for status. So that's about carrying Uh, about respect and feeling valued. And we're always intuitively aware of kind of where we fit into some kind of hierarchy or how we belong in a social circle. So again, when you think about a listening circle, it's really important for people to feel like they belong and that they're valued. And one of the things for organizations to um, be explicit about um, is it's okay to be clumsy. Like we're, we're all here, we're all here to share together. We have a common goal, a common objective which hopefully has been established. And you know what? It's okay to say something clumsy. Um, It's safe here. So that's one way to send um, to put people what we call in a toward state rather than a threat state. Um, The next um, uh, domain in the scarf model is certainty. Uh, And we talk about that as like feeling that you're in the loop, you know, what's going on that you have the information that other people have. And one of the ways where you can create a toward state when it comes to listening circles is that people understand that nothing is going to be reported back. Like there's there's a bubble or a container of confidentiality and people are going to share honestly and authentically in this circle. But it's not like somebody's going to take that and then, you know, pass that on to other people. So there's that sense of like, OK, I feel secure knowing that what I say will be held and received and kept confidential in this space. So um, another way to create a toward state, um, according to the um, SCARF model, I'm gonna go to the A, which stands for autonomy. That's that sense of, am I given choices? Do I have a sense of control? Um, So one of the ways we can create threat with autonomy is micromanaging people. When people feel micromanaged, um, that sends a threat signal and there's a, a lack of trust. And so to create a sense of certainty where people feel respected and valued and trusted is, you know what, you get to choose what you share. We're not going to say you have to go in there and bare your heart and soul. You know, even if you feel safe, you know, there's still containers and boundaries to be had. So it, you get to choose what you share. Um, so that is another way to create a toward state and to create deep psychological pers- safety for people in these listening circles. Now I'd like to move to R, which is relatedness. It's like, Am I part of the group? Do I feel like I belong? You know, this is where we really, and this is all getting at inclusion. This is when we're really talking about inclusion. Do I feel part of the group? Do I feel accepted? Do I get the cues that there's warmth and curiosity and openness to my perspective of what I have to say? And so again, organizations, you wanna create this sense of psychological safety and a toured state when it comes to um, relatedness that where we can feel that we can, can connect to one another's experiences. Where we might not agree or we might not understand, but we are open to other perspectives and being aware that we have our subjective experience in the world, and we are here to learn and to listen and to um, to come together. Uh, And F, I'm going to take us to F, which stands for fairness. You know, are we being treated equitably? And one of the ways to create uh, towards state is, you know, kind of going back to autonomy. You choose what you get to share, um, but it's it's true for everybody. It's not like oh. No, you have to share more than other people because you fit XYZ profile. No, people can share to what extent they want and it's fair in that in terms of the expectations, if you will. Um, So now I would like to shift from psychological safety to facilitating insight. Um, So one of the things that's really important for organizations is to create a container in which insights can be generated. So talking about insight. So, and this comes from um, one of our articles in the Neuro Leadership Journal. On a neural level, having an insight can help us make associations that ultimately deepen our understanding. Insight is a powerful tool that can lead employees to be more intrinsically motivated in their own growth and personal investment, leading to long lasting positive changes in performance and adaptability to change. So when you think about this, think you know, reflect back on what I was saying about psychological safety and creating towards states for people. And then we're thinking, okay, we're in this safe space where we don't feel threatened and people are sharing their perspectives. We're listening, we're learning. And often when we hear new things, we might connect, make connections in ways that we didn't before. We're like, Oh, I didn't realize that, you know, X influenced Y. And those create places for deep insight to occur. And that helps us deepen our understanding and our learning. So again, um, there's that aspect where I said of people sharing perspectives that maybe you hadn't seen before, you hadn't made uh, connections before. And again, in terms of organizations, in terms of creating these listening circles, we, and setting, um, creating these towards states where people feel safe, we normalize these behaviors, right? It's, it's okay to be clumsy. It's okay to share what you feel comfortable sharing. So just when we create this container, it will lead to deeper insights and the introduction of the Eureka scale. And actually I'd love to turn it over to Barbara as she, um, as she walks us through the Eureka scale, if you don't
0: mind. Hi, me again. I wanna share a story with you and ask a quick favor. A couple years ago, the NeuroLeadership Institute ran a study that asked people to engage in mock negotiations. Each person wore a heart monitor. At the end, people were told to give their partners feedback. Only for half the participants, the roles were flipped, and people were told to ask their partners for feedback. The study found something really interesting. It turned out that giving feedback and getting feedback were equally stressful. But when people asked for feedback, both partners' stress levels got cut in half. Their heart rate steadied, and their anxiety faded. So that's where the favor comes in. Will you give us feedback on our podcast? We created a survey that takes less than two minutes to complete. And in return, you'll receive a free copy of NLI's latest journal paper, The Fact Model, a framework for managing cognitive capacity. To fill out the survey, all you need to do is go to neuroleadership.com slash That's neuroleadership.com slash So
1: helpful to hear. Um, just the criticality of the science behind all of this. Uh, So the Eureka scale, we have done um, research on this, uh, roughly about 400 people. And the net-net is we were able to find that there was a definite correlation between the strength of an insight that one had and a behavior change, so the the motivation that someone had to actually take action. Um, so you know, obviously the strength if it's zero, there's there's nothing there. Um, and so essentially, that level one is it's like a feeling. Level two is you know we recognize kind of that uh, we have an aha, but that aha it's like fleeting, right? It just as quickly as it comes, it leaves us. Um, and three, it might stay a little bit longer for a few days, but the motivation isn't as strong. This is where we really want to be. Um, and what we want to help to you know cultivate in others as well as experience for ourselves, um, where the real change happens is at a level for insight because here um, it's so strong for people um, that it stays with them actually uh, for days and days and days, which is you know exciting. And so that's why that motivation is stronger for them to do something. But five is obviously the ultimate, right? Um, five is like life changing, as in complete rewiring. We can't see things the way we did previously. We see things in a totally different way, um, which is why it's so powerful and why, you know, um, the intensity of the insight matters. Um, And so I think, Michaela, you're going to talk to us quickly about just how how to design to actually, you know, uh, enable this in others.
3: Right. So I would just like to close by saying that when we create deep psychological safety, create a container for people to develop insights. And we model that behavior as leaders and organizations where we normalize this behavior, where we establish our our shared values and goals that will help encourage action on the part of those in the learning circle, as well as the organization. Again, with the organization, setting the tone, serving as role models, um, creating a a cultural norm by which it's uh, Encouraged to behave in ways um, that align with the shared vision, the shared goals, and the shared values.
1: Beautiful. Thanks so much for that, Michaela. So I want to pick um, one or two questions that have come up. And Paulette, the first one I'm going to direct to you, picking up on you know the the value of holding listening circles. But the question is, how do you um, balance kind of the value of holding a, a listening circle with kind of the respecting confidentiality, right? Like seems like how, how do you get at that or how do you solve for that? And yeah. and, and, and people are anchoring in that. Do we need to be overly concerned about that? I think if you set the right guidelines and really stay true to them, you needn't
2: be too concerned about that. And we've been getting this question a lot. So yes, there, there is a confidentiality we need to talk about at the beginning of every listening circle and to take that very seriously. But like we do in our research, Barb, you can take themes, we take themes from focus groups, we take themes from interviews, similarly with listening circles, we can look at what's being discussed at an aggregate level. Um, Mm -hmm. Even if we should use a quote, a phrase here or there, we'd want to be very careful that it couldn't possibly identify anyone. But as long as we're bringing everything up to a high level Mm -hmm. and looking at big picture themes, we need to, we can be less concerned about confidentiality because we would never say anything first as a theme that wasn't said by a number of people. That's a theme. Mm -hmm. Um, And as long as we're not attaching names or saying what group, what listening session, a theme or a comment came from, we're still maintaining confidentiality.
1: Mm -hmm so helpful, Paulette. And one more I want to throw at you, uh, Paulette, because um, it pertains to you. Sorry, Michaela. Um, But there is another question that came up around in these listening circles, should we be having like um, uh, facilitators or leaders even take part in them? So how do we feel about that?
2: Yeah, I think having a facilitator who sets up the ground rules, for example, is a wonderful idea, and they keep the conversation going. They make sure, you know, we're playing within the boundaries that we've set. Um, They can steer the conversation if something really outrageous comes up, because again, we know we want to talk about our feelings and, and share deeply, but we don't want to be hurtful or nasty or say violent things. The facilitator will be there to re- frame the conversation or or to guide away from comments like that. Mm -hmm. And the facilitator will also just set up what the discussion is about beyond the technical objectives or the technical boundaries. Um, The facilitator will say something like, we're going to focus on this, this issue. We're going to start with this particular question. Um, Let's go around the circle and share your answer to that question. I think a facilitator in a corporate setting, especially is a great idea. Great. Right. Um, if I could just
3: address the the kind of
1: status or hierarchy issue.
3: of like Thank whether you. Is,
1: that was going to be my follow-up. Take, take it away. yeah So
3: I think it's, again, really important for the organization to look at how much safety we talk about psychological safety. People might want to think it's there, but there could be people who still don't feel safe. So um, you need to take that with a grain of salt and really um, be to assess that and maybe ask your people. So maybe it might be important where it's a, uh, the employees, if you will, without the management, without the leaders in the space to generate or create a sense of safety that maybe can be built up. And as people feel safe and get acknowledgement and cues from leadership that it will be um, acknowledged, their statements, and they, there will not be any retribution because they have to see that um until that's in place then maybe you want to consider if it's not already there then you move where there's a leader involved but you we have to be really sure that people feel safe otherwise they're not really going to be sharing they might be listening and sharing what is quote unquote safe but we might not get to those deep points
2: what a great what a great caveat what what a great explanation Michaela I want to be clear Um, when I say a facilitator can be helpful never someone to whom the folks in the circle report never um, I would say if you want to have listening sessions for HR, they'd be for HR specifically, not sprinkled into the rest of the groups, because that's another area, to Michaela's point, where there may be a feeling of limited safety. Um, so this is, this is really sort of by the people for the people. Um, I think you form the circle and someone who wants to facilitate among the employee group would be best to do that. Or if you really want to be careful and make folks feel safe, you bring in someone external.
1: Yeah, that really important point. All right. There's there's so much to unpack here. And uh, we definitely want to talk with you even more so about, you know, what can go wrong in doing these as well as, you know, make sure uh, um, that we get it right. Um, And so that takes us to what great looks like. Um, And, you know, it's much of what both Paulette and what Michaela has been talking a lot about. Um, Really the space where people are safely sharing, um, people leave the session where they definitely feel heard and understood. It's not that Everybody has to be in agreement. People just need to be able to speak and feel like they've been heard. That's really one of the main objectives. And also um, from a leadership perspective, when when the information is coming to them, you know, a lot of organizational leaders will be hearing what they don't want to hear. And so they've got to have a growth mindset about, you know, recognizing, hey, if this is where the places where people are, we need to understand that um, and, and make sure we're clear with respect to where people are coming from, as opposed to getting as opposed to getting defensive. Um, whereas what can go wrong with these? Um, some of you who've joined us may have even heard about uh, some of these instances when this has happened. So from how leaders, um, I remember reading it in within one organization where some of the leaders who had taken part in the session were were laughing. I don't think they were laughing at the issues. As many of you know, sometimes it's just nervousness or when we don't know how to respond to something, it's a way to kind of release some of that um, anxiety we're experiencing in the moment. But unfortunately, it sends the wrong message, right, to the attendees. Um, Also, I've seen uh, in, in some settings where, you know, but when we don't get the balance right, it's one thing to make sure that people feel like they have a space, like we've been, um, especially Paulette and Michaela have just said, feel psychologically safe or they can share. But that doesn't mean that it's okay for people to be able to be disrespectful or show intolerant views. Uh, and we've seen some of that kind of play out uh, when organizations have done these. Um, or even, you know, organizations minimizing, right, just... Um, uh, how, how sensitive these topics are. And so those are the things to just really recognize. And certainly for us, when we have the privilege, when our clients ask us to lead these types of, of circles on their behalf, for our facilitators who are very well-trained, brain-based training, um, these are individuals who have years of experience of facilitating coursework They are um, most or or all of them are certified coaches, and still, before they go into leading listening circles, we really give them strong instruction, and we're very prescriptive about the headspace they need to be in, and um, also how they just can't. Treat this like a it's any other meeting or any other training course so just want to you know leave that with all of you um, inside of your organizations as you're working with your alongside your leaders who do this work um, the opportunity to do them is amazing. Uh, but we can't underestimate the things that can go wrong, that can undo the, the goodness that, that the organization is looking to accomplish. So with that, uh, Paulette, I want to come back to you because um, just as we've, you know, quickly shared kind of like tips and, and things to, to kind of avoid, how, what should organizations also keep in mind um, as they're leading these on behalf of their employees?
2: Mm -hmm. um i think there there are a few things that you want to be careful to think about and one of them goes right back to the conversation we were having about five minutes ago that is who you're choosing to run these sessions Mm -hmm. um similarly to focus groups do you use somebody from inside of the organization or do you bring in an external trained facilitator you may very well get a different response from the group if you use someone outside versus inside. That depends on what your objective for the group is. Mm. Um, Do you want people managers to lead and create a leader-led or sort of do a train-the-trainer so leaders can lead listening sessions? Mm -hmm. The objective for that might be a little bit different. It's not just for the benefit of those who are sharing, but in cases like that, leaders are really learning what's going on in the organization. Um, yeah, and, and when scaling you think the the question is here, not just how do I take this to other parts of the organization, but how do I maintain retain the quality of the experience that you had when you were doing the pilot session, for example. Um, So again, that's where who you choose to do the facilitation comes in, how structured you want the conversation to be, how broad the topic is that you'll be discussing. For example, do I discuss the same one, two, three questions across the entire organization in every group? Um, How do you get people to participate? Is it a voluntary activity or do you do random selection? You want to think about how you design the group. So do you bring together a group of six or seven individuals who are diverse by gender, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, nationality, things like that? Or do you want to do some homogenous groups with the idea that some? Different things could come up Mm -hmm. if you have a group of, you know, all gay men or all black women, that might be a very different conversation uh, than what would happen in a more diverse group. Mm -hmm. Um, And you do, above and beyond everything, want to think very carefully about the kinds of questions uh, that you ask and maintaining that quality of guidance from the facilitator or or whomever is kicking off the group um, in terms of creating psychological safety and making sure that folks speak their turn um, but not go over, that nothing um, overly uh, critical or upsetting or hostile comes up, and making sure that quality is maintained across every group. Mm
1: Beautiful, Paulette. Thank you so much uh, for providing that to all of us. And so a couple of things I want to do quickly. Uh, What are the methods for trying to determine if we're talking diverse versus um, homogeneous, right? Like, Is there criteria or something that we can help people use to, to really make that determination?
2: Yeah, I think, again, it depends on on your objective and what kind of conversations you want to have. Now, um, with a recent client who is doing a large number of listening circles, we're actually um, recommending that most of them, but not all of them, be diverse. So we can see if there really is a difference in the conversations. When we do focus groups, we generally recommend Homogenous groups around a particular demographic characteristic because research has shown that they, the participants will feel safer, they'll be more willing to share, and more willing to share really uh, deep information and make themselves more vulnerable in a conversation like that. That said, there's a lot of benefit to having a diverse group as well because there's learning happening in these circles. And ultimately that's what we want when it comes to issues like this. So again, it it really depends on the objective of your listening circle program. You could split it half and half and see which one is working better for your purposes. If it is truly just for employees to have a safe space, let's try homogenous groups. But if it's to learn as well as share, let's try some diverse groups.
1: Really helpful. Thank you so much. Michaela, we haven't heard from you in a while, so I think I'm gonna bounce to you. I want to ask you one of my favorite questions, as you know, is you know what what would be your leave behind for folks? Like, what what would you want to ensure that they take away uh, from a science perspective that's really going to help them uh, with their within their organizations to lead these kinds of conversations very well?
3: Um, Thank you, Barbara. Yeah, I think if anything is to understand that we all have our unique experiences, which might be common among a group of people, but the way that we approach the world and our social situations, especially at work, are really dependent on, again, I'm gonna just anchor in on this safety of how safe do people feel? And that might be, mean that there are different configurations at work that people feel safe, but just to be aware of that varied experience. Um, and also awareness that all of us, we again see the world through our subjective lens and we I'm sure most of us realize there are other perspectives mm-hmm. out there, but really, um, to be able to take the perspective of others and understand that others have different experiences. And when we're creating this container for listening circles, to be very mindful. Um, Yes, it might be great that your company is, you know, creating listening circles, but again, is it a place where people feel safe? So really look deeply into your organization, I would say to do that. And and not with, um, you know, shame or, you know, uh, or anything like that, but in terms of taking a growth mindset, how can we develop and grow as an organization so that those in our organization can also flourish and develop and grow?
0: Your Brain at Work is produced by the NeuroLeadership Institute. You can help us in making organizations more human by rating, reviewing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. Our executive producer for Your Brain at Work is Noah Gelb, Danielle Kershenblad is our editor, Gabriel Barrison, our associate producer, and Cliff David, our production manager. Original music is by Grant Supritzky and logo design is by Catchware. We'll see you next time.